0: Welcome back to the Coach Mike Podcast. The next guest is Allie Webb. You may know the name as she's been on Shark Tank. Uh, She's been all over the media. She trailblazed uh, with a company called Dry Bar that now has over 150 salons. She has a podcast called Raising the Bar. She's cool. She's interesting. She has a few kids. She just recently went through a divorce, so I'm really looking forward to her. I already know she's going to be a wise woman that we can learn a lot about and have some fun. Allie Webb.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Talk to me about Dry Bar.
1: So I'm, you know, I can tell you my story um, and how it all started, uh, you know, and then there's also kind of this like interesting place in my life now where I'm, you know, we're 10 years into Dry Bar and I've, you know, started investing in other businesses and I have started other businesses and. I got divorced last year and my life got completely, you know, turned upside down and I've been like working my way back to some sort of normalcy ever since. So, you know, and I'm a, I'm I'm kind of an open book about that stuff as well. Um so, you know, I'm game for anything.
0: Is, is dry bar just for women? And
1: Well, I mean, there's definitely like, I mean, it's definitely in West Hollywood. There's more men um, who have like longer hair who go in, but yeah, I mean, predominantly it's a, it's a female focused brand. And the, you know, the, the impetus for dry bar was, you know, I, I'm a hairstylist, a professional hairstylist. I have been for 20 years and I grew up in South Florida and have naturally very, very curly hair. So, um, my whole like childhood was about figuring out how to, you know, tame my curly frizzy hair. So, um, you know, I feel like the seed was planted all those years ago. And I realized, you know, it's a long story. And I, I had started a mobile blow dry business when I had my two sons, when I was a stay at home mom for a while. And I realized during this time of operating this um, mobile business, which, you know, to you as a guy, is probably like, what the hell is that? But I was basically going to women's homes and blow drying their hair, like while their babies were napping. Um, I realized- Is blow
0: blow drying hair that much of a pain in the ass that you want someone else to do it?
1: It's funny because my brother, Michael, is my business partner. And that was like the first conversation we had also when I said I wanted to do this. He was like, I don't- And also to clarify the His wife has naturally straight hair, so she just wakes up and it's like straight and pretty. My hair is like crazy, curly, frizzy, and it's just like very big. So, you know, for me, it was like a struggle to look like what felt normal to me as a kid because my hair was just like a mess. And I felt, you know, I couldn't articulate it back then, but I didn't feel very put together. And I felt like my hair was always a mess. And, um, and I was like really mystified by how women like my sister in law's hair just grow out of their hair straight, which I now understand the science behind it, but that's. Probably not interesting to you. Anyways, so my brother, when we were first talking about this, he was like, I don't understand. Can't women Sarah blow dries her hair all the time? I'm like, Well, Sarah's at the time, I actually didn't think Sarah was like our audience because I didn't think women who had naturally straight hair, who didn't really have to do anything to it as far as I was concerned, would want to come in. Turns out, just like women, you know, we we always want what we can't have, and so the women with straight hair are coming into dry dry bar to get their hair like made fuller and curls and all of that. So, yes, it is a pain in the ass for women to do their own hair if they have unruly manageable hair. And I would say 99% of women would tell you they don't like their own hair. They if they have straight hair, it's too flat, they don't like it. It just like falls. If they have curly hair, it's frizzy like mine. So, it's like we very quickly realized and I think part of the reason that we became so successful so fast was because like we were going to, you know, hit all all will check all the boxes with women everywhere.
0: And and so were other salons not offering that service to just come in for
1: well they were, but it was like what's interesting about this whole movement with dry bar, you know, it's like when when I was when I was younger, when, when I went to beauty school when I was in my early twenties and it was in Boca Raton, Florida, where I grew up, and little old ladies would come in to get their, their you know, their, like, very, very thin hair blown out, and they liked it really big, and, and And I remember having conversations with a lot of those ladies how, when they were younger, they used to go to the beauty parlor and get their hair coiffed, and, like, wouldn't touch it for a week, and it was, like, the beehives, and I don't know if I'm speaking your language, but, you know, women would get, like, these, these big, like, bouffant hairstyles and not touch them for, like, a week, which is kind of, you know, suspect, but... Anyways, it was this behavior that women did years and years ago, like our grandmothers and grandmothers' generation. And, you know, somewhere along the line, just like getting your hair just styled, kind of that behavior went away. Um, And I would love to tell you, like, I had this big premonition that I could bring it back, but it, it was, it just, it happened kind of organically without me really planning it. But I did realize that like there, when I was operating my mobile business and I was only charging $40 to go to women's homes, which... There are hairstylists who would go to people's homes, but they would charge upwards of like $150 to $200, if not $400. As expensive mm-hmm. to go to someone's home. And yes, in hair salons, they were offering blowouts, but it was this very like... Nobody really did it because it was expensive. The hair stylists in those like full service salons wanted to be focusing that hour on cut or color where they would make more money. And so
0: did it, or did, so you guys literally didn't do cut and color? It was purely no cut and
1: color. I mean, I cut hair for years, and that's what I did. Right. And I loved getting through the haircut so I could do. And,
0: and you started with one one dry bar, and your first one was where Brentwood. Brentwood, and then yeah. now, how many are there in the world today?
1: There's 150 across the country, um, which are all currently closed, you know, we're open seven days a week. Um, so for the stores to be closed, it's just, I haven't been able to bring myself to like drive by one and see it. It's just so weird. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been hard and you know, it's, it's especially hard because you know, our, I I was, I, there's been a lot of videos floating around about hairstylists and it's, it's hard because anybody in the service business, whether you're an esthetician or a hairstylist or whatever, you're, you know, you're there, you just can't work right now. There's nothing you can do in terms of like what your skill is. Um, so, you know, we've tried to get creative and we've done a couple of things to help, but you know, we're, we're, we have no money coming in right now. either. Were you
0: able, were you able to get the PPP loan?
1: We, no, we were way too, we were too big for it. That's the too big. Yeah. We're way too big. I, we have another company called squeeze, which is a massage concept, which is like, a brick and mortar, same founding team as Drybar, but it's all very technology. You book on the app, you tip on the app. And we're applying for that company. We were denied the first round.
0: Yeah, I own a, one of the businesses I own is a treatment center I've had for 14 years. So I,
1: I noticed that and I actually wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah,
0: so I've, I have all these therapists and counselors and case managers and people have been with me for years. And then, so we've gone all the online treatment now, which we still provide treatment but it's just a, it's just been a trip this whole period of time. We haven't been approved either yet. Um, I don't know. I think everyone's pretty confused about how the whole process works. Um,
1: Uh, Yeah. But
0: I imagine for a lot of the people in the beauty industry, um, there is no work and aren't a lot independent contractors. So they wouldn't even get, I mean,
1: for us, it's their employees. employees. And then a lot of, I would say 50%, if not a little bit more work for a full service salon as well as dry bar. So they're doing cotton color somewhere else. And then they're, you know, doing dry picking, even sometimes just picking up shifts at dry bar. So it's pretty rough right now. Um, But I've been doing a ton of blowout tutorials and stuff for like, you know, magazines and online online things. Um, And, and just for dry bar, just to show, you know, women things that they can do because everyone's kind of struggling you know to, yeah. what'll be great is like when this is all said and done the salon business is going to be on fucking fire
0: so yeah I, it is i, I don't know you can cuss it's fine yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah
1: i mean that'll be that's the silver lining here
0: what in terms of your life like you you mentioned that you got divorced which obviously that has so much tension and drama especially when you're a successful woman um and <laughs> uh i can only imagine a lot of the details in that and then you have two kids you have two sons and how old are they
1: uh 15 and 13
0: and how have you like overall in terms of your mood how have <laughs> you been feeling
1: you mean now or like in the, yeah who i mean well the, yeah i mean the divorce is pretty um brutal and i don't you know i don't know if you've been divorced but it's um You know, for me, I didn't expect it to like, knock me on my ass the way it did. And so I spent, you know, a great, most of 2000, the end of 2018, most of 2019 in this like fog of depression um, that I didn't see coming because I, because the divorce was like very amicable. It was the right thing to do. Like there was no, there was no real drama in the ending of the divorce. It just like, wasn't working. so I, it was just such a weird interesting year of like self-discovery for me which i'm very very grateful for now um at the time it was like painful like pain pain painful and what
0: was most painful about it
1: well that was the thing i couldn't figure out and that mm-hmm. was what was that was what, what, I, god i was like why am i so depressed like this is what i wanted like it didn't make any sense to me and. um and I think it was like, oh, I wanted my freedom and then now I was alone and then that felt really lonely and I bought this like nice house for myself, but I was in it by myself and like I didn't know how to parent by myself and my my boys were kind of out of control and I didn't know how to deal with that and I was alone and I didn't to really talk to you about any of this stuff. And it was like, oh, I didn't think about any of that stuff when I was thinking this isn't the right thing for me. I started to like feel maybe it was a little like mixed in with a midlife crisis. Like, I just turned 45 and I was like, oh, oh shit. Like I've got to figure out what I, what's going to make me happy. And so it was all these things that I didn't see coming. That, and how long were you married? 16 years. 16 years. Yeah. I got married when I was like 27, 28. Um, so it was just a lot of things I didn't see coming. And, and I I remember I was on like a talk show and there was a guy who had written a book. I can't think of his name, but the book was called Energy Speaks. It was, a little, it was definitely like a little woo-woo, but I got into all of that stuff because I was yeah. like, I got to figure something out. And he said to me, your your husband, even if you're not in love with him anymore, held space for you, energy for you that nobody is holding anymore. Mm. And that to me resonated so much. I was like, oh, yes. He's like, it is a death. And everyone kept telling me it's a death. And I was like, it's not a death. I didn't, he didn't die. I wanted this to be over. Like, and so it just didn't make sense to me. And I think once like, for some reason, the way he said it to me really hit me. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm mourning you know, it's like, I wasn't, you don't. Know, I didn't think of divorce as like mourning. And I remember people saying to me when I would tell people I had gotten divorced, they're like, I'm so sorry. And I'd be like, don't say you're sorry. It's great. I'm glad I'm divorced. Yeah. And it always like confused me until I realized like, Oh, getting a divorce is actually a death. And it, it just like nobody prepared me for that. Um. And And once I realized that I was could like accept it. And then I think I started to like, come out of the darkness a little yeah
0: I've, I've always thought it's interesting like just um the shoulds i lately in the last few weeks i've been to the shoulds of life and i say we should all over ourselves and like
1: my uh, this, my boyfriend is a is a is a executive coach and he never says the word should he always says you right. ought to like he actually never says the word should it's like just kind of not in his vocabulary and i think it's interesting yeah. like we've talked about that like don't shit all over yourself
0: it's great yeah, exactly <laughs> and it's it, there's a thing in culture where if you've been married for a long time, like if 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 I had people in this in my living room right now or whatever room I'm in, like and two guests arrive and they go, uh, this is you know Tr- trisha and john, and everyone's like, Oh, hi, and someone's like, Well, how long have you guys been married? And they're like, 25 years. Everyone's like, Oh my god, and you, you'll the wife will do a little jab and it'll yeah. be a whole banter. But then if the woman walks in, and she comes alone. They go, oh, you're here alone. And she's like, yeah, I've been single for 25 years. They're it like, would be completely awkward for everyone. No one would go, oh, my God. Wow, you're independent. You're yeah, strong. You figured yeah, it out. And it's, just, yeah. it's just so interesting it is how so interesting. there's this, like, idea around what should be a relationship or, because um, I'm single right now. I get all asked all the time, oh, why? I'll be like well, why not? why not? Like, I, I don't quite get it. I mean, I also don't subscribe to a lot of like rules I would say of yeah. the norm. Yeah. Um. But it's just interesting to me. And I, I think, um, sounds like you've taken a big pivot. If you shifted into being with a man who's a coach. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and to guys- me,
1: it's interesting. Cause I, I wanted, I was, I wanted to be single and free out of my marriage. And then I was like, huh, I don't think I like being single. And I think that like, I have girlfriends who I think genuinely prefer it. You know, I have like a good friend of mine who's a little bit younger than me. Well, a lot younger than me, very good friend of mine. And she's like, you know, top exec at Nike. She's like, her career is very like, she's very focused in her country. She's like, she's cool to be like, she wants her, her career is her thing. And for me also, you know, I, I built my career. I'm not in the weeds and dry bar the way I was. So right. I have some flexibility and I, I didn't know what to expect. Like, I mean, talk about like a getting to know you period. Like I was like, I didn't think I wanted a boyfriend. I was like, I'm never going to be married again. I don't want to be in a relationship. I just want to like be, have fun and go, go a little crazy, which I did. And then I was like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't actually like being single it turns out you know and I didn't actually know that about myself because I'd been married forever um and so but I think it's interesting that like you know some people enjoy it and some people don't
0: What's been the what's been the biggest challenge for you with the like coronavirus now like in terms of your emotional journey over the last few weeks what's been maybe something you've really learned or something you've been challenged with or?
1: Well, I mean, it's a lot of things. Like, I'm sure like everybody is like, you're dealing with things that you didn't see coming. Um, and for me, it's been good, good and bad. Um, and, you know, my, my boyfriend who I've been with for a while now, um, we were probably, I don't know, six months away from potentially like maybe moving in together. So, but that shifted. And like, we're basically living together now because we were like, mm. and he has two little kids. I have older kids, but it was just like all the shuffling and it was like, just kind of felt easier. And I mean, we also feel like we kind of used this as an excuse to like, well, we've been wanting to do this anyway. So now's the time. And so we, that kind of happened, which, you know, we're, we're only about eight months into the relationship, but still very like fun and exciting. And so yeah. like the idea of like being like quarantined up together was like, that's fun. You know? And so I really kind of loved that part. The challenge of course, with it, which comes with that is like, he has two little kids who are four and six minor 12 and 15 and very self-sufficient and like easy. I mean, physically not emotionally but physically easy and his kids are physically very challenging as four and six-year-olds are and so the challenges of like especially when they're all here at the same time of like the homeschooling and you know keeping them you know busy and and you know and there's there's you can't we can't go anywhere like typically we take them to the movies or bowling or somewhere it's like all we can do is go on a walk around our neighborhood which again we are lucky. And I feel like every time I talk about this, I don't want to sound like so privileged. And like, I, we live in a beautiful house we have a great neighborhood. We can take walks, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't negate the fact that it's like, we are all a little stir crazy. We are running out of things to do with the kids. They, they can't understand, you know, my, my 13 year old, like they, he can understand when I'm frustrated and he can go have his space and I can have my space. Like a four and a six year old are like, I don't fucking care. I'm going to run and open every cabinet and knock everything over and just like, that's just what I do. And so that has been for me switching gears back into like being with little kids again has been challenging. And us, his name is Adrian, Adrian and I figuring out how to like manage that. And like we're tag teaming, you know, work and calls. And it's just like, you know, it's just like chaos.
0: What brings you excitement right now?
1: Huh? Well, that's a good question. Um, You know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I am now working on other projects that I, you know, that I'm personally more excited about in in work. Like I mentioned, I'm investing in a bunch of businesses. We started this other concept. We have two other concepts that are in the works right now. Um, I have a couple of TV shows kind of that we're ideating on right now. I'm writing a book. That's like my memoir, which also feels weird because I feel like I should be like 70 to be doing that. But it's really basically my, my kind of evolution from, you know, being this very like lost kid out of high school, not going to college, you know, figuring it out as I went to, you know, building what I built. So, um, I'm doing that too. So those are things like I'm, I am excited about professionally, but you know, I'm also like, and it sounds weird to say in this like very weird time that we're in, I'm like kind of happier right now in my life than i can remember being i mean you know it was a different kind of happy building dry bar and it was like mm-hmm. this intensity of like um you know building something and working at something and i was so laser focused for so many years and i you know i always say i felt like i was like on a treadmill for the last 10 years of my life literally like just this rocket ship and it was so exciting and exhilarating and amazing um but to be forced to like not be able to go to a million meetings and not be able to like get in my car and go places and just have to like stay home and make dinner and walk and read. And like, I love it.
0: What do you, yeah. What do you, what do you miss the least? The meetings?
1: Well, I think I, I think I, I don't miss the pace, you know? I mean, my pace was like fast and I was like, go, go, go. And I am still like that a lot in quarantine. I have a lot of calls. I, you know, I just rattled off to you a bunch of projects I'm working on and those require a lot of meetings and calls. And, um, and then I'm also doing like, you know, other like little side things here and there. So I'm still very busy, but the pace is different and I'm able to like, you know, I don't, I don't know. I like, I kind of like being at home right now. You know, I just like, I just haven't had that in so many years that for me, it's like a little bit of a, of a blessing to be able to just chill out a little, you know, and
0: hey, what? And in terms of like you having that much success with dry bar, like how many hours a week do you think you were working on it?
1: Oh gosh. I mean, I was working like 14 hour days. I mean, easily. And, you know, because our shops aren't open because our shops are open on Saturday and Sunday, it's not like the weekend rolls around and I can take, you know, I can chill and relax. It's like, it was just constant, constant, constant. And what I, what I had to do in, you know, I would say you know, a year, like maybe three or four, it was like, I had to like pull myself back a little bit. And we started to bring in, we brought in like a professional CEO and like, a you know, an executive you know team. And we had a lot of people doing a lot of things that I had historically been doing, but um, I was like, just getting so burned out, always burned out just because I couldn't stop. And I didn't want to, like, I didn't want to let go of anything in the business. So mm. it was really taxing. And then also having two little kids at home, and a husband wow. and you know it was like <laughs> it was like the wild west but it was also really you know exciting and invigorating and it was just like it was intoxicating the, the the way that the business was growing and the results that we were getting and the way we were affecting women's lives and like and then I was yeah. like kind of thrust in the spotlight and I became the face of the brand and I started doing television appearances all the time and that was like Oh, this is fun. And, you know, and it just like, it just kind of all kept building and building and building.
0: Did you, did you like the aspect of you suddenly becoming the face and voice of it? Did you love it?
1: I did. I mean, I didn't know that I I would or wanted that, Um, but I did get, uh, you know, I, I found myself very comfortable in front of the camera. Like I felt like I lit up when I was kind of on stage and, and I was, and it was also very like, Oh, you know, so I was, you know, my marriage was obviously suffering I was trying to be a good mom and all the while, like all these other things were so exciting and, you know, everybody wanted my attention and I just opportunity after opportunity after opportunity coming my way. And it was just like the craziest thing. Um, And, and, you know, so insanely grateful for that. Like the thing, you know, like getting asked to be on shark tank and being on the cover of ink magazine and like these things that are like so surreal that, you know, that I, you know, and I would, I feel like things, so many great opportunities, you know, would come up again and again and again. And it was, it was very um, humbling and, and, you know, I think intoxicating is probably the best word for it. And, and also even when you say like, oh, you, you know, you built a hundred million dollar business. It's like, oh yeah, I did do that. You know I mean? It was just so fast and, you know, and I was, such, I've always been like coined in my house as like kind of the underachiever and like, what's she going to do yeah. with her life? Very, you know? So the fact that, this little idea I had worked and turned into this big thing is just like such a trip to me. <laughs>
0: has has your Has your relationship to money changed?
1: Yeah, it definitely has. Um, How so? Well, um, I mean, you know, I, I you know most of my life have been like on a pretty strict budget. Um, which I actually like enjoyed. I, I would, I, I talk about it all the time. I used to have like a budgeting app where I knew how much I could spend every month. And then I would deduct, I mean, like I would literally type in receipts of like, I just left target and how much did I spend and And then it would, you know, subtract it. And if I had money left over, I could use it towards the next month. And, you know, I was always very, very cautious with money. And I still am to a certain degree, but you know, I, I have a little more flexibility than I, than I ever had, um, which, which is like, a really tremendous feeling to you know to have that security so yeah it's it's pretty amazing to be able to like you know comparatively it's you know you know it's like hard to compare yourself to people but I'm you know I'm in a, a place in my life where I'm able to like really enjoy the fruits of my labor and that's pretty amazing
0: and what in terms of you being a leader of this many stores and like what's your style of leadership and why do you think it's worked
1: well, um, you know, I don't, I don't kind of, now we have, you know, a CEO and we have a whole team, so sure. I'm not like leading them I did, but I think in the beginning it was very like my, you know, I, I couldn't have told you like what my leadership style was when we started because I was just, you know, kind of like all operating by instinct. And the, I think that, you know, and like authenticity, my, my approach was always like, I will do any job. And I will, I, you know, not this like, you know, ivory tower leader, which, which also was like very important to me when we did bring on a professional CEO, I didn't want to bring somebody on like that. You know, for, for me, it was always like a team effort and we, there's no job too small for me. And, and if that's the mentality from the top, then my, my hope was that everybody would kind of have that mentality. And, and it really was like that. I mean, for so many years we were so, so scrappy and never had enough people for all the shit that had to be done. And the, you know, the people that stayed with us for a long time, the people that were really valuable to our team were the people who were like, they, you know, they would do things that weren't in their job description, which, you know, nothing drives me more crazy than people saying like, Oh, but that's not my job. Like, are you out of the your work or, or, or,
0: yeah. or people that, um, uh, that's the thing. It's like, uh, I almost like, I remember back in the day when I first started in my career, I was doing so much for free. I even still do so much free. Yeah. It's that small percent that makes money. But it's like, I've noticed that it could be because I'm getting older, but there's like generationally, there's a bit of like, um, like I all have HR and the issues that people will address was like, I don't like the tone. I'm like, you don't talk to HR for tone. Yeah. like. What you do, like, have some concrete, yeah. or like that wasn't my job, or just handing off responsibilities yeah. instead of owning it's it. Tough.
1: I mean, you know, and for us, it was like, yeah. I mean, that was the millennial generation is really challenging, and and for me, you know, growing up in in like the in hair salons, you know, I, I. I so vividly remember, you know, I would back then I worked, you know, 14 hour days too in the salons. And I, I loved being in, I loved the environment, I love the atmosphere. And it was like you could maybe go take a bite of a sandwich in between clients when you had five minutes. Like really not like that anymore. In
0: terms of living, California is amazing, like yeah. lifestyle, but in business, it doesn't. Worse. Doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we very quickly learned that and had to like acclimate to all the, the, the craziness and trying to figure it out. Yeah, it was rough.
0: <laughs> but you figured it out, you turned it around and then did you get an investor right away or was this someone down the road?
1: So we first we first did friends and family angel investors in the early days. So we were, um, you know, once we opened Brentwood, and it was just, it was so crazy and so busy and we were mm-hmm. like, you know, we we're definitely onto something we've got to open more locations. And, you know, at the time, my brother, who was the CEO for a while before we brought in a professional CEO. Um, oh, wow. He was like running a real estate marketing company off the side. My ex-husband, who does all the creative, he, he, was, he had a big job at an advertising agency. And so, you know, we just didn't know it was going to take off the way it did. And once we realized it within that first like week, we were like, you know, we have to open more locations. It wasn't until about six months later that we opened our second location, and in that time, we started raising more money. And but what was crazy is that people were coming to us, and I had never raised money. I now understand that like raising money is really challenging. But we had kind of captured lightning in a bottle, and and people were just enamored with the brand. It was this brand new concept, and so we had clients coming, friends coming at us, all kinds of people coming out and wanting to invest in the company. And so we raised, I think it was about three million in friends and family. And we started opening, you know, our stores are very expensive to build. So we, you know, we, we opened the first one in Studio City. And I think the second one was West or Fashion Island in Orange County, and then um, West Hollywood and students on Sunset Plaza. And, you know, and and then we, and then we started, once we got to, I guess we probably the friends and family got to about I don't know, seven ish stores, maybe 10. And that's when we started talking to private equity and raised like real big money. And
0: that first week, how'd you create a buzz for a brand new business?
1: Well, my brother and I both had background in PR. Um, so we understood that whole machine and how it worked. And I, I felt like instinctively it was a brand new concept it was something that women were going to be really excited about, even if it was just on a very small scale, which by the way, it was all meant to be very small. Like we we didn't imagine it would be what it is. And I was operating this mobile business in LA and I had, you know, I got so busy so fast because I'm pretty good at hair and like women would, you know, I would go to a woman's house and do her hair. And then she'd tell her friend group. And then a bunch of those women would, and then she, you know, it was just this word of mouth thing that happened with my business. And when I started telling my clients that I'm thinking about starting this concept. They were like, this is amazing. So I had infiltrated like a pretty decent group in just LA, very small. And it was mostly moms and whatever. Um, but a lot of influential women, some celebrities and whatever, just women I had met through other women. And until still to, to this day, a lot of them are still clients and friends. Um, so that was like the initial, and, and then I, I found, um, through all these women that I had now met, I met a woman named Jill Eisenstadt and she had a small PR company and she knew all the like tastemakers around town and like the right moms. Because at this time we thought it was a very like, yeah. like mom centric. business, like stay at home mom. And, um, she, she, you know, she was a great publicist and helped us get the word out. And what I knew was that because it was a new concept and that's what press wants, you know, press wants a new story, something that no one's heard of. So the mm-hmm. fact that Drybar was like, we invented the name Drybar, bar, we invented the concept. Like it was like, and it was like, you know, I don't know if you've seen the shops, but they're beautiful and they're they're, you know, it's a bar, but you're watching like a chick flick and you're not, it's not, it doesn't look anything like a traditional hair salon.
0: And so, and so even, even these women who are really, uh, you know, who, who had the means and what have you, how did you, how did your PR get them to show up to get their hair blown? Because I imagine they have people just blowing their, like, how did they convert? Hair hair?
1: Well, because you also have to like, you know, women, if you, now, if if you talk to like women you know and ask them about dry bar most most of them will know dry bar but pre dry bar women who you know usually were going to like an important event or a wedding or a job interview or whatever they were doing they would sometimes figure it out and go to like a fantastic stamps or their cut and color salon and get a blowout but it was very like occasion based like not they're not doing it once a week my premonition was that if the price was right women would do it Frequently, so that was like what I was trying to prove, what I thought would be true, which turned out to be true. But in those early days, like there was, uh, you you probably don't know this because you're a man, but there was a thing called Daily Candy, which was like now again, this is over ten years ago, and it was basically like before you know, Instagram wasn't really a thing then. Like you know, people were not you know, people were still buying magazines mostly, and there was this like it would daily you get an email from this it was a website, I guess, called Daily Candy. But every day, Daily Candy would send out an email and they would tell you, like, the newest thing. Or maybe it was once a week. Maybe it was every Friday. And they would send you, like, the new cool, like, restaurant or the new cool place to buy, whatever. And and you, like, it was very coveted. And women, like, really loved this newsletter. It was very authentic at the time. It wasn't about ads and all that shit yeah. that it is now. And so... It was like, if you got your business on there, like it was like the Oprah effect, you know, if you got your business on Daily Candy, and again, if you ask anybody, a lot of women, they'll know Daily Candy. It was like the thing. And so we were able to get, I mean, ironically, my brother had worked for Yahoo at the time and when Daily Candy was launching, he put Daily Candy on the front page of Yahoo. And so he knew the founder of Daily Candy. And so that's kind of how we kind of got in the back door there. Daily Candy sends out this thing, says like hot air is blowing into town, writes up this pithy little like thing about Drybar. And you can book, we have an app and you can book online and whatever. At this point, like people weren't using their smartphones the way they are now, but you could go on the computer and book an appointment. So when the Daily Candy piece ran, which was about a week before we opened, all of a sudden like appointments started flooding in because women everywhere knew now about Drybar. And the fact that we had one location in all of LA, I mean, we were booked solid the very first day we opened, which is like unheard of for salons wow. and having salons, you know, I know this to be true. And I mean, we were just so blown away. But Daily Candy and I talk about it all the time, they really put us on the map. And then not to mention the press just was like coming in droves. I mean, we were all the morning shows were coming to drive bar to film. Wow. And it was also in the middle of a recession. So, you know, women were cutting back on cotton color. They were doing that less. But, you know, at the time when we started the business, it was $35. Now we're 45 to 50 in different markets. Um, and, and, you know, women were like, oh, this is an affordable luxury. I can skip like my $300 haircut and get a good blowout, which will camouflage a bad haircut or needing a haircut. So it just really works. I mean, it was like the right place at the right time. And, and what was it? Went-
0: How do you keep the experience the same? So people come in for an ex- What is the experience? Like a woman comes in,
1: yeah, well we wash her we wash her hair and we blow it out and like every you know from the get-go we had like basic so it's I told you it's set up like a bar and there's a menu and the menu is like it's never been like models, it's always been kind of regular girls and we have like a cocktail menu of, of hairstyles. So there's like the Manhattan, which is like straight and sleek, there's the Cosmo, which is like Again, I know I'm speaking like a foreign language to you, but like beachy curls. And then there's like the Cosmo, which is lots of, I mean, there's all these different hairstyles that are named after drinks. And my premonition was like, if I, if we named the hairstyles after drinks, they're sitting at a bar, the bartender is the receptionist who's always behind the bar and the, the, you know, the products were on a shelf behind the bartender. So it looked like, you know, a bar. My 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 hope was that women would be like, oh, I'm gonna have the cosmo, I'm gonna have my tie. And it's funny, I haven't talked about this in a while. But my brother thought that was like the cheesiest idea. And I was like, I am telling you, women are gonna like sitting here ordering a drink that's a hairstyle. And, and did they and really? Was it just totally. I mean, I women talk about their whatever style they're getting as the name of Manhattan. A, a, I mean, it totally stuck. It totally
0: worked. Is it almost like these women would order it as if they were ordering a drink? I mean, like was you there... know,
1: they would look, if the stylist is doing their job and the way we wanted the whole thing to go down is a woman comes in, she sits in the chair, she looks at through, the, you know, the magazine that we made that shows all the different hairstyles and also, again, not speaking your language, but, like, there's you, there's a lot of different, like, types of women, like African-American and, sure. you know, Uh, Japanese and all different types. So, and like long and short and all different types of women. So you can look at it and be like, that looks most like me. And and that's kind of how I want my hair. Like all the different styles and on different types of women's hair. So they can like point to a picture versus like saying, which again, Born to you, but like, I have straight hair. I want my hair straight because straight can be interpreted like 16 different ways, and then we end up missing the mark if you don't get it exactly how they want it. Because women are very picky about how they like their hair, we have learned, which I get because I'm as picky as they come. So, if you come in and say, I want my hair straight, and we like make it stick straight, you're like, No, no, I wanted it straight, but with like a little kick to it that's what the book's for, so they will do that. And then they'll say like, I want the Manhattan or I want like a Cosmo, but I want it to be messy like a Mai Tai, Mai Tai is like our beachy waves. So they'll, they'll like combine them. But they, they you know, historically asked for it by name. So it's a pretty cool. The whole experience is what I think makes Drybar so amazing is that it's, it's not the hair salon that you're sitting in. It's like this experience you're having.
0: What is the most common? I can tell you because I, I my background was uh, before being on television and writing books. So I, I, I mean, I spent a lot of years doing a lot of things, but one of those things was working with entertainers, mm-hmm. and so I worked with so many glam teams, mm-hmm. so many glam teams, and so many dancers. And there are characteristics of dancers that you know they're they're always a bit more like uh, extroverted and yeah. you know like very yeah. theatrical and. You know, like, I know in the hair industry, I always heard that, like, they don't work on, they don't work on Mondays, so Sundays they're partying or like, there's like, what was the most consistent, like, challenge with people, kind of employing people in the beauty industry?
1: Um, well, what's, what's interesting is like, our strengths are our weaknesses, right? So yeah. Th- that's very much the case with hairstylists. Like, they're creative and fun and loud and outgoing and like, you, that's what you love about them. With that, and and I speak for myself too, I'm like, I'm usually late to everything, you know, I'm like flighty and, you know, a visual person. And so like, if I'm supposed to be at a meeting at 12, I'm like, nobody really cares if I'm there at 12, 10. I mean, that's just like who I am. And I think that's very much like part of being like a creative and a stylist and and that was, that's really hard to manage. Uh, from, you know, when we have appointments, because appointments are tight and close. So, you know, if a woman shows up 10 minutes late for her appointment, like that really messes uh, us up. And if a stylist shows up 10 10 or 15 minutes late for her shift or his shift, that can really throw us into a tailspin. So, you know, the, the, there's like a flightiness, I think, that exists um, in this like creative world that, it, you know, can be really hard to manage, to manage, you know. And I think that's where the strengths and weaknesses comes in, because, like, you know, you, you can't really stay mad because they're so fun to be around, you know. Right. So it is-
0: yeah. They always say they always say uh, hair hairstylists or people in salons or glam they're always almost like you know i should in my other life i should have been a therapist yeah because the amount of disclosure that happens but it's interesting
1: too because we have a lot of stylists who will like overshare and we're like whoa 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 you don't they don't need to know that you know and and i get that (laughs) because i can get like that too and i'm you know i can get very much in the zone and just start like i have to filter myself too so i get it but it is this like we try you know and also you know, there are clients who come in and they just, we, we are showing like rom-coms and really like fun movies. And sometimes clients just want to like space out and watch the movie. And the stylist wants to tell them all about their boyfriend. And we're like, yeah, no, probably did you
0: Did you have to edit the vibe based upon city? Like the fashion island crowd versus, or was it all the same?
1: It's pretty much all the same. I will tell you that there are stores that complain about, I like the music really loud in the shops. And it, I love that energy. The blow dryers are, for me, it's like when I, if I walk going a drive and it's not loud and crazy, like, I'm like, what's wrong? You know, I like the, you know, because between the blow dryers going, people talking, um, the music is playing loud. Like, to me, that's what feels right. But there are locations that, it, you know, and I couldn't even tell you exactly at this point which ones, but that, you know, it's sometimes like, it's an older clientele at a certain point and they're like, could you turn down the music? You know, I'm like, the music's so fun, you know? But yeah. I get it. You know, sometimes you, like, are there with the girlfriend and you want to talk and whatever. But um, that's part, you know, of the ambiance of the whole thing is that it does, it creates this, like, really fun environment.
0: That's awesome. Well, um, we covered a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and it's really easy to talk to you, and I can I see uh, how much passion and drive you have and also, um, you know... I, why people would want to invest in you and you. Uh, partner with you, and um, you know, I think um, I think it's a it's a really inspiring story because a lot of people don't follow through with their dreams or their ideas or their passions, uh, yeah, but also yeah. just you sharing with us too about your personal life a little bit. All right, cool. Yeah. Well, thanks, Allie.
1: Yeah, this is so fun.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, take care. I'll talk to you All soon. Right, bye bye. Bye.
0: I want to thank Ali Webb for coming on the Coach Mike podcast who has definitely taught us there are no shortcuts, no pun intended. Anyway, you can check her out on her podcast, Raising the Bar. It's available on all platforms. Follow her on social media subscribe follow me at coach mike bear on facebook twitter instagram i do live so i do facebook and instagram lives where we can interact together or drop me a message with any questions you might have and i'll talk to you guys really soon
1: bye